0: Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Stay standing, stay standing. I just want to say, I mean, uh, having a, having a dad, a good dad in your life, so unbelievably powerful. And if you're a young dad right now and you're trying to figure some things out and you're not sure what they look like, there's a number of men in this church who are really good at it. I want to, I want to encourage you to seek out some assistance if you're struggling with a few things. Just the basic stuff, because maybe you didn't get taught or whatever it was. I just, I just want to encourage you to find it if you need it. All right? Uh, Father, I lift these men up. Sometimes it feels like the weight of the world to be a good man, to, be, to work hard and, and be accomplished in that. And be accomplished at home, which has more complexities than anything in the world. And even sitting here now, we have heartaches as dads. We need your guidance, we need your comfort, strength, vision. I ask it for these men. Do something, Lord, in their hearts today. Uh, It makes a difference in their home. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, fellas, you can be seated. Thank you. Uh, So we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, the Beatitudes have sort of helped us get oriented to our new life, you know, eternal life, under God's love, rule, and care. And so... uh, you're probably worn out by these images, but these are sort of the folks that characterize the kingdom with the Beatitudes describe. described. Uh, you know, those who weep, those who mourn, there's peacemakers, there's all different kinds of people in there. Poor, rich. So here they are all in there, and each life, each life is being radically affected by the fact that they are in this kingdom. Each individual Life, we said uh, that God just blows the lid off everything, raises the roof on the standard, broadens uh, the borders, and deepens the transformation in all of this, which essentially amounts to. So, what does that amount to? Well, all your prejudices have to go, and all your self-righteousness has to disappear, and change has to be deeper. It can't just be about behaviors. And anyone surrendered to Christ, no matter what their no matter what their situ, personal situation is, they have to take that set of circumstances that they are in and 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 allow the kingdom to come in and and take over. Take whatever the circumstances of their life are. And let Let God's rule overtake it. And so you have to adjust to a new reality. You have to adjust. Whatever your life is, you have to adjust to this new reality, which is dictated by Jesus. He's the only one who can help us live this eternal quality of life. He's the only one with the words of eternal life. And so we're, 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 we're glued to what he says. We believe that what he says dictates reality not our circumstances don't dictate our reality he dictates our reality now that we're in his kingdom and in his care so he will say in the sermon as we'll see you have heard it said but i say to you i say to you now i'm going to might wear you out with a few probably an inordinate amount of illustrations from The Matrix today. (laughs) I need you to hang with me. It's just a great visual. I went back and watched a number of YouTube clips that came to my mind to illustrate a few things, so hang in there with me. Neo is this uh, new fella into into the Matrix where you see more than one reality. And he learns from Morpheus... How to operate in this unseen reality. And that's what happens to all of these people. They have to come in and say, you know, my whole world was dictated by my circumstances, but no longer. Now God's going to come in and he's going to open up this whole, a whole new reality to me. And it's an unseen reality. It's unseen, but it's real. It's more real. But you have to be able to live in the everyday world and still see this other one. And The Matrix is about somebody living in these two realities. And what Neo has to do, which is just so fascinating to me, he has to develop new aptitudes, new instincts, so that at any given moment or circumstance that he finds himself, he's able to shift and see beyond what is physical, material, temporal, to what is spiritual, what is truly real, what is ultimate be able to evaluate his life, and then engage it. So in one particular scene, there's this jump program. They take him through different things to see, and he's got to jump from one building to the other and realize that he's capable of doing that. And in his mind, where he's at, he can't, he can't visualize it. He's just trusting. The guy says, just run and jump. You should be able to do this. Well, it's, it's an interesting clip, but he obviously doesn't do it well the first time. Because he doesn't know how to connect to the other reality. He's stuck in the physical. Gravity still has a hold on him. He doesn't know how to connect to the other reality. And so when we come to Christ, we're learning how to take our lives and live it in light of an unseen reality. And our devotion to securing material goods and outcomes betrays our engagement with the spiritual ones. So in many cases, we miss it. I'll tell you how we miss it. We, we, here we are living in this new reality, but it's so easy to get closed into your, your own life and world that you, that you miss things. I'll tell you how you easily miss it. You, you don't stop to be alone with God. You're so engaged in life that you don't know how to pull away from what is visible, material, and seen, and just get alone. And focus on the unseen. We miss it. And we are anxiety ridden because of it, Jesus says. We're anxiety ridden because of it. Because we are only focused on this reality. And then you also have this idea, Jesus says, we don't lay up treasures in heaven. We, lay, we store up here. So we just think you got you to gotta have a lot here. Materials, everything. And so we spend a lot of time doing that and just able to miss. Another one is, and I just jotted it down here. So, for instance, maybe you're in a situation where forgiveness is being called for right now from you. It's very likely the majority of this room has got to forgive somebody today. Um, and, and that's it's a hard thing, it's a very spiritual thing, and not return evil for evil. Returning evil for evil is much more natural. It's actually our first instinct. Um, And it even seems unreasonable. Doesn't seem right. Maybe it seems impotent. Doesn't seem like it would be effective to do that. Or you just can't bring yourself to do it. That's the person stuck in these circumstances, not letting the kingdom speak into his life. Open up that world. You miss the opportunity. So what happens in this kingdom, in this this little world we live in, is you have to learn to trust that what Jesus says is right and it's more real. Even though it feels more real to return evil for evil, Jesus actually is saying it's more real to forgive. Remember in C.S. Lewis's image, uh... Of the ghosts his his depiction of the afterlife are people that don't know Christ people that don't know God who aren't in the kingdom their life isn't substantial they're ghostly they're smoky it's like a vapor there was just nothing to it but the people who live for God by the time the kingdom comes they are more substantial than anything they've ever known before uh And so kingdom people, in that sense, are really ghostbusters. We see through the illusions and the smoke that the material world's constantly putting on us. We're not captive to this world's existence. And we begin to act consistent with that new world. That's what it means to seek the kingdom first. It's an unseen reality. And I'm trusting that what God says about that unseen reality is more real than the one I'm in. What does he say? Seek the kingdom first. And all the other things, all the other things that get our attention, they're secondary. They may come. They may not come. But that's not the ultimate thing. Seeking the kingdom first is and not to get distracted by them. It's easy to get distracted by them. So there's another scene in the Matrix where he's being taught again by Morpheus. And they're walking through what looks like a busy New York street and everything is gray and black and white. And he's and everybody's hustling bustling. They all look the same. It's just it's it's the it's it's the present reality for them, and he's teaching them how to, how to look around in this reality. Look around you. Let me tell you what these people are thinking. Let me tell you what they're like. Let me tell you how we're trying to help them, blah, 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 blah. He's giving them vision, and they don't see them, these two, walking in the midst of them, and it just is a hustle-bustle crowd, and all of a sudden, in the midst of the black and the grays and the drab scene, Neo catches the vision of a woman in a red dress with blonde hair. And it just gets his attention. Morpheus is teaching. He's not paying attention. Morpheus stops and looks at him. He goes, are you looking at the woman in the red dress? And He goes, yeah. And he goes, look again. He turns back to see her. And it's a man with a gun in his head. And he's basically saying, if you get distracted... It'll be deadly. If you get distracted, it'll be deadly. Jesus' message throughout the entire kingdom, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, if you get distracted by this earth stuff, at at the end, it's deadly. So, that brings me to my three characteristics. And we looked at three characteristics of people who live in this kingdom as sort of an orientation to the sermon before we pull the sermon apart. Uh, and they kind of looked like this. First 2, we depend on spiritual resources for our existence. That's obvious. Not material, spiritual, physical things. I surrender to God's complete transformation of my life. In other words, I want Him to change my heart. I'm, I'm working with Him to change my heart, not just my behavior. We, we spend enough time on both of those. And now there is a third one I want to talk to you about. I partner with God now in this eternal drama, in His eternal drama and purposes. Now I'm a I'm a partner with him. I depend on it, I surrender to it, and I'm actually a partner with him on it. What's that mean? Uh, well, this is about coming to grips with forever, sort of that unseen reality, that your life matters forever, that your future life can be incorporated into the life that you have now here on earth and that my life now can be incorporated into my future life. They are connected. Christ's death for you was an eternal investment in you. It was an eternal investment in you. And it forms a partnership whereby my ordinary life is caught up in his eternal movements and activity right now. Which means two things. God is turning you into something that will matter forever. The transformation he's doing in your life is something he's doing that will matter forever. So you're already becoming what he wants you to ultimately be. And the second thing is, he's using you to shape what forever consists of. These are two amazing things that are really hard to grasp sometimes. So let's, let's just talk about both of them. I just want to sort of make them come alive for you a little bit. So what does it mean that he's turning you into something that will matter forever? Well, remember the parable in Matthew 25. Matthew will say this later in, this, in the same book, where he where he's describing the kingdom of heaven and he says I'm going to give you guys some abilities and gifts some resources I'm going to give you this amount you this amount and you this amount I want you to use them for the kingdom when I get back I'll assess what you did with it and what you did with it will determine who you have become and so he comes back and he settles accounts with each individual what'd you do with that stuff I gave you? I gave you this amount of stuff, what'd you do with it? I gave you this amount of stuff, what'd you do with it? I gave you this amount of stuff, what'd you do with it? And to the ones who did what they were supposed to do, invested it, in other words, stepped out of their circumstances and somehow started to live for this kingdom, Right where they were in their worlds, with what they had, with what God had given them in that set of circumstances. And to those people who did a good job with what they had, he said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Think about that. You've been faithful. Your character has developed into someone I can trust with more. It was one of the great, I think, visions for the spiritual life is to say to God every day, God, I want you to be able to trust me with what you've given me today. Because one day in your kingdom, I want to be a trustworthy person. So what does he say? I'll set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Enter into a world of everlasting creativity and goodness. Come on in. And continue doing what you have been doing. That's a powerful thing. This sort of expands your vision of your life into eternity. It does matter what you're doing right now. With what you have right now. Whatever your little circle is. Because you live for a kingdom outside of the material one. And so you're becoming the kind of person who can actively participate in God's ongoing creation in eternity. Someone someone he can trust with more. Now you say, how powerful of a point is that? Well, think about this for a second. And you really do have to think about this. Uh, So I read an article this week in Inc. Magazine caught my attention by Jessica Stillman. Uh, This was the title of the article. It was about Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs accepting, this was the title of the article, long one. Steve Jobs accepting this brutal truth was essential for for, for a truly successful life. Caught my attention. I said, what's the brutal truth? So every morning he would look in the mirror and he says, if this is your last day, How are you going to live it if this is your last day? So he was thinking of the end, and it was helping him determine what he would do today. And then one time at a Stanford commencement, he said this in a speech. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help make big choices in life. And there have been studies that I sort of peeled off and read that say there's something to a healthy view of your mortality. Now, listen, this is considered brave in the material world. If you don't live in the kingdom, just in your little world right there, it's, it sounds really brave. Hey, you know you're going to die someday, so you really ought to do some great things with your life, which in my mind is not necessarily the natural <laughs> Uh, conclusion you would come to. I'm going to die one day. I'll do whatever I want. Who cares what I do if I'm just going to die one day and it doesn't matter? And of course, at the end of his life, he said, there's got to be more. It wasn't enough. Listen to what Willard writes. The truly brave person is surely the one who can cheerfully face the prospect of an unending existence. Suppose you're never going to stop existing, and there's nothing you can do about it except possibly make your future existence as desirable an existence as possible. That would take real courage. What kind of iPhone would you have if he'd have thought he was going to live forever? What kind of man would he have been had he had eternity as his end and not death? That's Jesus' point. It matters who you are every day. Second thing, not just who you are it matters, but what you do with what you have. So he's using you to shape what forever consists of. What I do here, what you do here, changes the landscape and makeup of eternal existence. So you know this text in Matthew. Uh, go here. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. We'll look at this in Matthew 6 when we get there. uh, Because things here don't last. So lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where they do last. Where your treasure is, there your heart is. So in other words, I I want you deeply connected to a different reality that values different things. Uh, So this is sort of the language of investment. This is what you actually do. So you've got your character, who you're becoming, but you also have what you do with what you have and its impact on eternity. So it'll matter in heaven who you've been becoming. It'll also matter in heaven what you've been doing with what you have. So here's the point. Because we're already connected to an eternal reality, I can fill it up now with treasures. I can actually... Put things there. Affect the landscape of that place. Fill it. God's giving. I partner with God. And who I become so I can one day lead with him. Reign with him. But I also get to fill heaven. I cause things to be there. What are those treasures, do you think? If you really think about it. What are they? I I caused some things to be there. I put things there that God values. He lets me bring in some stuff. Some things that probably will cost me here to do. But I'll have great peace, according to Jesus in Matthew 6, great peace in having treasures there and not just here. So remember, seek his kingdom and his what? Righteousness. So I'm seeking the kingdom, and I'm doing righteous things, righteous acts that go beyond me for the good of beyond me, and somehow I'm able to fill heaven with stuff. The kinds of stuff that lasts. It's not temporal. It's not visible. Um, I, I can put people there. Because I partner with God, I have the ability to help put people in heaven. What's that look like? Well, you know the verse. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. If you take the stuff I've given you and invest it properly, there will actually be people in heaven because of those investments. And when you get there, they'll greet you. This is God saying, partner with me. Partner with me and investing in things that matter the most. Become the kind of person I can count on later. Put things here, treasures. They're, they're all the good and righteousness Jesus has in mind when he says, seek the kingdom and righteousness, all the righteous stuff that you do. I'm gonna describe that for you in a second. I, I know that's a little vague. I hate vague. I hate I want to try to bring that alive for you, but I get I get to help put people there. That means I'm shaping forever. Do, do you do you hear that wonderful truth? You're shaping what heaven's going to look like to some degree. God's allowed you to do that. He's partnering with you. He says you will reign with me in heaven. So I'm shaping it. So this is why Martin Luther said we are a subspecies of eternity. I mean, we're really just eternal beings operating still here, um, even though we're still here on this planet. So when you think about a species, and this is what I thought of when I was thinking about that. You think of, about a, the natural habitat for a species. Eternity is our natural habitat. When Jesus came in, we no longer just breathe in this little world. This, this has got to go we we got to breathe a different environment. It's now this environment that keeps us alive. It's not the little world we lived in before. It's just an entirely different environment. Uh, I, watched a couple, I happened to watch a couple of videos of these guys catching fish and letting them go, these catch and release guys. They catch these amazing fish, show them, hold them, and you see the fish flapping, very uncomfortable, gills moving. It's an ugly sight. Then they take it off and, you know, they hold it up. And then, they, and then they set it in the water. You see how they set it in the water ever so nicely? And that thing just, it realizes, I've been set free. And then it just slowly robbles off. It goes, this is where I'm supposed to be. And it's clear. This is essentially what it's like to live in the kingdom. You start getting much more accustomed to living in a reality. It's not the one you used to be, and you're not comfortable in it anymore. So my last matrix visual. There's a scene where Morpheus tells Neo, you will do what others have done before you. You will defeat enemies. The difference will be you will not die doing it. Imagine that. That's essentially what Jesus says to us. You're not going to die. You're going to go on. Who you become and what you do matters. And so Neo says, does that mean I'll be able to dodge bullets? And Morpheus says to him, no. You won't have to dodge them. To have to dodge them is to have to think about it not to have to dodge him is just exist it's such a natural thing for you it won't be something you have to think of that's essentially what jesus is hoping to transform us into into people who just so naturally think about the kingdom we just so naturally it's the air we breathe we can't survive without it it's our environment it's where our heads at so couple of practical pieces of what to do and what to make that look like. I'll give them to you here. So, here's at least two. Maybe we'll look at more when we get to Matthew 6 a little bit later. But I will tell you what it's like to be a kingdom person in everyday life. I mean, you got a everyday life, you got to live in this little bubble. And most of what you do is very unspectacular. That's the first one. Unspectacular stuff. Just doing life Being a man, being a woman, making good decisions, interacting with people, getting along. God fully intends that your daily life be caught up in kingdom stuff because it's shaping you. How you handle that, what you do with that. Oh, you got that. What are you going to do with this? How are you going to deal with this? Like, I'll tell you what I've been dealing with lately. Very unspectacular. An insurance company. A car insurance company. I won't tell you which one it is in case you do insurance, in case you work for that company. Maybe you're the person I've been talking to. <laughs> but I felt like uh, my son Mike was in a, a fender bender. It wasn't his fault. And I felt like what they were doing to him, whatever algorithms and the evaluations they give to whether or not they total a car, weren't fair. So I took up the mantle. And so for the last two and a half weeks... I have gotten myself up to now two levels beyond the person who originally called. (laughs) And I'm talking to this guy, right? And I'm trying to explain to him why I think his algorithms are off. I've sent proof. And I just said, it's just it's not humanly fair what you're trying to do to this kid. So we're talking about it. Now, the whole time I'm doing that over this two and a half weeks... I got all of this in my head. And so, so here's, what I have to, here's what I had to remember. Not getting screwed in life is not the goal of life. Do you hear me say that? Because I'll tell you, most of you run around making sure nobody screws you. That's, that's how we live. Not, in the, not on the road, not in this house, not at our job, not in life. Nobody's getting the best of me. And we spend a lot of energy making sure nobody gets the best of us. Jesus has essentially said, you don't have to worry about getting the, somebody getting the best of you in this life. Because I've given you the best. You can expect the best and hope for the best. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That means if I don't win with this guy, it is not the end of the world. That's hard to remember, folks. (laughs) Because there were a few moments where I go, I think the world could end with my next conversation with this guy. And so here's what I did. Here's what I committed to. I wasn't going to give threats. I wasn't going to cuss. And I wasn't going to throw wild accusations, untrue things at him. Because I don't think that's what Christ would have expected of me. I can't say I'd have done this 10 years ago, but I'm just telling you what I did in this one. And we ended up having really good conversations. I got to know his family. He told me about his life and his family. Because I wanted to tell him about mine so he could understand why I was being a voice, an advocate for my son. And my hope was that even when this was over, he wouldn't say, I don't know, I've been dealing with this jerk all week. You know, go home to his wife on the weekend. I'm dealing with this jerk. That's unspectacular stuff, Hillside. But it's shaping me, and it might influence, Do you know, When you handle situations like a kingdom person would handle them, and I don't always. But when I do, I have the the ability to create treasures in heaven. And it might even influence this person down the road to hear the gospel. That's what it means to have a kingdom mindset in every single thing. I want that mindset in in every interaction I have. Stop. And the best way I can describe it is stop living as if is if you get shafted, that's what's the worst thing that can happen in the world. That's not it. And people who are living in the kingdom are are just acutely aware that there's another reality. And they're watching it, and they know that if they get distracted, it's dangerous. So it's all the unspectacular stuff you don't think anyone sees. That's where the kingdom of heaven thrives. And then how about your priorities? You just choose to involve yourself in things outside of yourself, that don't just serve you. So the insurance thing was something that would serve our family. But then there are priorities in your life that have nothing to do with you. You're not going to get any gain out of them. You're just going to serve. You're just going to do stuff, give stuff for other people. Act beyond yourself. Use your time, your talent, your resources. They're no longer just for you. No one can say anything that comes into my little world anymore is just for me anymore. It's not just for me anymore. All that I have, I'm just a steward in a kingdom. So where are you investing? Where are you serving? How are you filling heaven? And will you be one of the ones God can say, well, yeah, let's put so-and-so over there in that galaxy when we get into the kingdom. Put him in that galaxy. He can run a whole galaxy. This guy can run ten galaxies. Get him over there. He's faithful. You can trust him with anything. I can trust him with stars and moons and suns. Don't you want to be that? Don't you want to be that guy? And God says, I trust him. So, as I live under God's rule, I'll close with this as I live under God's rule, my life takes on this spiritual substance. It's real. And it operates outside the physical, it's not dependent. On the physical. In other words, I'm not going to get spiritual energy to do the right thing, or physical energy in the right kingdom. It's a spiritual thing. And the consequences ultimately are spiritual. And so one of these days, this is what you want to hear. This is what you want to hear. Uh, Let's see where I have that. This is it. This is the end of Matthew. Remember the sheep and the goats? We're going to stand there, we're going to look at the sheep and the goats. What's the difference between the sheep and the goats? The sheep make it into heaven, the goats don't make it in. And this is what God says to the, to the sheep. Uh, let's see, that's not the one, where is it? That is not it, that's the wrong verse, okay. That verse didn't get put in right. Don't look. Here's what it says. The king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. I've been building this place for you. You've been filling it. You've been becoming the kind of person who can live in it. Come on in. At the beginning of the book, what are the the Beatitudes? They're blessings. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And then at the end of the time, he'll say, those of you who've been blessed by my father, And you've lived like you are blessed by my Father. Come on and enjoy the kingdom you've been living for already. And that is being prepared for you. What a powerful truth. So, uh, of course, this book I read years and years ago. I was thumbing through it here in the last couple weeks uh, by Calvin Miller. And I forgot about this statement he makes in this book. I'll close with it. Uh, he, he brings up a movie that was made in 73, uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. How many of you have heard about that movie? Okay, so I had never heard of that movie. I was only 10 at the time. Uh, so I had never heard of it before. But it's based on a book, that obviously written before that, and um, it's about this seagull name. <laughs> it's about a seagull. So I went and did research on it this week. So uh, this seagull uh, wanted a life of his own. He wanted to break away from the other seagulls. And so I guess it's narrated in a way that this seagull's trying to get out and break out and be his own thing. And it turns out that it's a book. Actually, uh, in in the spirit of the new age is what this thing was about. So uh, it had those kinds of spiritual implications. But it turns out that a lot of the uh, camera shots of the seagulls, you know, that were in flight, these seagulls were tied to a perch with strings. So they really weren't free at all. You, just, you looked at them, and they looked like they were really flying. <laughs> Their legs were attached to a perch. And that was an incredible visual to me. And he, he says this, Christ breaks the tethers that bind us to the world at hand. And then he writes this, and it's one of my favorite lines, and he's got so many in this book. The cords of ordinary living are severed in Christ. You can no longer live an ordinary life. Just can't do it anymore. He says, dull gravity cannot bind us to this earth For heaven indwells us. Isn't that wonderful? What a visual. Dull gravity cannot bind us here. Get freed from the attachments here so that you're free to focus on filling heaven with treasures, things things God loves. It's one of these days. You'll be in charge of those things. All right, let's bow our heads. Father, thank you so much for your word for this sermon. We're all looking forward to getting into the details, but we love knowing what it means to live in the kingdom and pray that you'll orient our hearts, cut all the attachments that keep us from really being free to invest in your kingdom. Do that for us, Lord, and if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, doesn't know all the wonders you bring. I just ask that uh, I give the heart to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.